this is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. Uh, just kind of check in on the four major sports teams that I root for and write about and talk about and, you know, everything about them uh, and just kind of where they're at right now. So I'm calling this series the state of my sports teams. And uh, we're going to start with chapter one today. Well, I guess I'm, I'm recording this part today. I'm going to record these at different times. We're going to put them all together into one podcast and I'll timestamp it out. Uh, so that you can have um, the most, you know, up-to-date information on each team and as well as uh, timestamps. So if you don't want to hear about a certain team, you want to hear about another team, we'll go to that. So I'm going to try to be as in-depth as I possibly can with um, this this uh, this entire uh, podcast episode. This is one of my bigger podcasts I plan on doing this summer. This and the Aaron Rodgers podcast, we'll get to that uh, but let's do it now. Chapter one. Here we go. Uh, chapter one begins right now. The Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Phoenix Suns are in an interesting place. As I'm defining it in the podcast description area, it's a build-around phase. But it's there's a number of ways they can build around, uh, and obviously building around Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. Those two guys are locked and loaded for the next three years. And then the Suns have to go from there. Now, you look at the last two seasons. uh, The Suns lost in the second round to the Dallas Mavericks in 2022. They lost in the second round to the likely NBA champions. I say that because they're up 3-1 as I record this. uh, Denver Nuggets. So back-to-back years of second-round exits. This year felt different than last year in some ways. In other ways, it felt the same. After losing in the finals in 2021. And... Obviously, the most recent news, kind of not really the most recent, but a very relevant news story for the Phoenix Suns, and I did a podcast about this. Uh, they hired Frank Vogel to be their next head coach. Uh, Vogel, five years, $31 million deal. Vogel obviously spent a number of years um, with the Indiana Pacers. He was an assistant for a long time before that. A couple of years to forget about in Orlando. The rosters were terrible. And then he won a championship with the Lakers in the bubble in 2020. And he got scapegoated before this season and got fired after a year where LeBron and Anthony Davis missed a ton of time. He had Carmelo Anthony, Avery Bradley, Russell Westbrook as his, I, yeah, I'm not going to blame him for that. So they make the vocal hire. It's a hire that I like. It's a guy who can bring a defensive system in that can uh, change the way that this team guards. And I think the big key here is that they kept Kevin Young. Kevin Young was a finalist for the Phoenix Suns head coaching job. He spent a number of years with Monty Williams in Phoenix and Philadelphia. Uh, he's known around the league as one of the better offensive coordinator assistant coaches in the league. He's now the highest paid assistant. So Matt Ishbia once again throwing his money around to keep uh, to keep Kevin Young around. Um I think that's the biggest part of this because when you have a guy like Kevin Young who Devin Booker likes a lot, that's been well-documented, who can run their offense with a guy with like Vogel who can run their defense and kind of be the head coach of the entire rest of the team. Obviously, that's his job. But um, I think the Vogel-Young connection is going to work very well in Phoenix. I'm confident about that. And they also brought in David Fisdale as an assistant. Fisdale, did he really get a fair shake with the Knicks? I don't really think so. That was in the middle of an era of Knicks basketball where their roster was bare bones. And Tim Hardaway Jr. was the leading scorer. And he was the head coach in Memphis as well. So he's got a decent track record, especially as an assistant. That's success in terms of succeeding 
David Fisdale's success has come as an assistant. You might be hearing me drink a lot of water during this because I'm trying to talk nonstop, and it's very difficult if you're not used to it. I will say that. Uh, so if I ever get into radio, it's going to be hard to, you know, the first week or so is going to be really hard. Anyway, okay. So, like I said, I like the head coach hire. I like the assistant coach hires to this point. I think it all makes a lot of sense. I think it shows that this owner is very serious about spending a lot of money to make this work, something that we did not see with Robert Sarver at all when he was the owner. Now, the new CBA is going to be tough. And I read an article from Dave King uh, of the Bright Side of the Sun.com, an SB Nation affiliate. Um, very interesting stuff about the Suns offseason and where they stand with the salary cap. Um, it's tough. It is tough. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Obviously, you have the Chris Paul thing, which is going to be interesting because Chris Paul likely to be waived, uh, could re-sign at a lower number. Um who knows what happens with Chris Paul? But I will say this. I think there's a way for the Suns to be successful without Chris Paul running the point. I think um, I think you look at a, a couple of the lower-end options that you can bring in potentially to make it work with Chris Paul out of the picture. Uh, but like Brian Windhorse and a couple of other insiders have said, Chris Paul, if he's not playing for the Suns next year, he's probably going to be playing for the Lakers or the Clippers I would lean Lakers on that one. But I will say this. I could see Chris Paul being waived and then coming back at a lower number. That's one way to make this work for the Suns and their salary cap. Um, And then you also have to think about this. Chris Paul is uh, making – made 30 point – or would be making 30.8. Now, you're going to see – the idea that the Phoenix Suns release or waive Chris Paul to avoid the guarantee of his contract is something that seems like it's going to happen. So if that happens, then you have a different situation where uh, Chris Paul would be uh, not just releasing Chris Paul, but you'd be waiving him. Anyway, sorry, I'm trying to read something at the same time while talking. I'm not even saying what I'm reading. I'm an idiot. Okay. Uh, But, yeah, Uh, the point guard options outside of Chris Paul, it's tough because I don't know how much money they're going to have because a lot of this depends on what happens with DeAndre Ayton. Uh, And, you know, if you trade Ayton, you're going to have to match the money in some form or fashion. And I think that's what makes the most sense for the Suns is to trade Ayton. Um I, I think the big factor here, and Dave lays it out in his article, is that the Suns need to do their biggest business before July 1st because the new CBA, this is a quote from him, the new CBA with tighter restrictions on spendy teams like the Suns and more than a handful of other teams is not going to affect until July 1st. So you got, you know, you got a few weeks here for James Jones to make something happen with that. But I think you have to think DeAndre Ayton, there's going to be talks to trade him. There's going to be other things going on. Uh, it's so confusing. I, it's so confusing. Um, it, it really is so confusing. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I think the Suns need to trade DeAndre Ayton. I think you get players back that could provide more value. I don't think Ayton is the defender that Frank Vogel is used to at the five. 
and that he needs to be successful on defense. And he pretty much said as much in terms of how important the center is to his defense. Um, so I do think they need to trade DeAndre. I think Portland is interested. There's been rumors about that. Um, I think Anthony Simons would be a fantastic pickup in, a, in an Aiton trade. Uh, that's a, a smaller guard that really doesn't make sense with Lillard, given the fact they're both undersized. So you put him at the one for the Suns, that would kind of change the, the dynamic a little bit with how good of a three-point shooter he is. Uh, you also have a scenario where these rumors just keep getting out of hand. Though I will say James Harden will not be a Phoenix Sun, guys. That is not happening. Uh, I can promise you that James Harden will not be a Phoenix Sun, uh, but you can pretend like he will be, whatever. Uh, so right now the roster, it's just they're, such in a, they're in such a place of like unknowns with how confusing this new CBA stuff is, um, where the Suns are at. I just, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say. I, I don't really, I don't know. I, I do think that there's a big part of this where you're probably going to see DeAndre Ayton traded. And I think that's the right move. And I think the Suns could also trade Chris Paul. I think both of them could be traded. I think that's very much still on the table. And it was something that's talked about a lot going into this offseason is that they could both be traded. And this might be the shortest chapter of this entire thing because everything is so in flux with the Suns right now. Like There's a lot of speculation I can have with the Blues, and I'll do that in their chapter because I just know more about the salary and everything going on around the league. I just don't know if I know enough about the NBA salary structure. It's just so damn confusing to me. It still is, but I'll say this about the Suns. Championship or bust next season. You have Durant, you have Booker. You got to build around them. It's the build around phase as the chapter states. So if you can figure that out, I think that changes the dynamic. I think, if you can put guys that would fit Vogel's system or Kevin Young's system on offense, you bring in three-point shooters, you bring in good defenders, you bring in a, a legitimate rim protector. And I'm not even going to say names because everything is so confusing on what they can afford and what they can't afford. Please tell me how Damian Lillard to the Suns makes any sense. I just don't understand that. But whatever, that's really neither here uh, nor there. But, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting offseason for the Suns. I'd like to revisit the Suns and where they're at probably in July at some point. Uh, so this chapter is going to be pretty short and sweet. Uh, but coming up in Chapter 2, please stick around. Check out Chapter 2, the St. Louis Blues. Chapter 2, the St. Louis Blues. Title for this chapter is Retooling. Because that is, I guess, the word that, that I would use or that a lot of people have used for what the Blues are doing right now with their roster and the direction of their franchise. Um not really in a position to rebuild. Uh, not really in a position to say that you can reload. Not even close to that. So I think retool is the right term to use for where the Blues are at. So coming out, out of last season, they go 37, 38, and 7. 81 points. They finished 6th in the Central. They missed the playoffs. They were 16th in goals for, 27th in goals against. Now to give you a reference point, the year before, last season, 2021-22, they go 49-22-11, and 11, 109 points, third in the Central, fourth in goals for, 11th in goals again. So that tells me that, that obviously the main issue with the Blues is on the blue line. It's the defense. It's just not performing at all. 
Uh, I think they outscored a lot of their issues in 2021-22. That wasn't really the case for the majority of this season. And obviously, looking back at last season, the Blues were sellers of the deadline. They traded Vladimir Tarasenko to the Rangers. They traded Ryan O'Reilly to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they traded Ivan Barbashev to the Vegas Golden Knights. And they're probably about to win the Stanley Cup. And the Cup final might be over by the time uh, I post this overall podcast. So the Blues are in an interesting spot. Um, As most of the people listening to this probably know, if they don't, now you're about to, I guess, whatever. Uh, I've been writing about the Blues for thehockeywriters.com for four years now. So... I've been I've tried to keep as close of an eye as possible on this team. The article that I just published, I'm recording this on June 11th. The article I just published on June 11th was about how the Blues need to reshape their blue line. And I'm not sure there's a way to actually reshape the blue line where the Blues are competitive. I, I don't know how exactly you do that. Do that. I think you, they need to use this summer as a way to reset some things. Um, and I'll get into that. But first, I would like to discuss a little bit about the NHL draft. And I'm going to be using a lot of our hockey writers' blues articles that I've written or my colleagues have written to discuss the draft and where the blues are at. So now we begin with the blues and the draft. They have three picks in the first round. They have their own pick, which is 10th. They have uh, the 25th pick which is courtesy of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they have the 29th pick, which there was a whole swap situation in the Tarasenko deal. Whether they got the Rangers pick or the Stars pick, they end up with the Stars pick at 29. So, three picks in the first round, no picks in the second round. They have 74 in the third round, 76 in the third round, and they have their own pick in rounds four through seven. So they have a lot of draft capital, and this draft class is known within league circles, even out of league circles, as a loaded draft class because you have franchise guys at the top. Connor Bedard's going to Chicago, which is unfortunate, but that's a generational-type talent, I believe. Uh, You have Leo Carlson in the top three. You have Adam Fantilli in the top three. You have Will Smith. You have Matvey Mitchkov. There's a lot in the top ten of this draft. So the Blues, if they do stay at ten, they will have a great opportunity to take a great prospect. And there's obviously a way that they move up. I wrote an article about this as well, where let's say the San Jose Sharks have the fourth pick, want to get some more capital. They trade back. That opens the Blues' opportunity to possibly take a Mitchkov or take a Smith in that top five. The unfortunate part for the Blues is that they probably could use a boost to their prospect pipeline in terms of defensemen. And I don't really think there is one that makes sense in the top ten outside of Reinbacher, who will probably be gone by the time the Blues would pick at 10. So I don't think there's any way the Blues make all three of these picks, 10, 25, 29, in this first round. I think there is a trade somewhere in there. And I think there's a couple of different options that they can do in regards to this trade. And I think that is uh, you have to trade two of the three picks to move up, or maybe even three of them to move up. If you're going up to four, you might have to move all three, 10, 25, 29 because they don't have a second-round pick, likely, in that scenario. Um, Or you trade a couple of those picks for an NHL talent, you know, similar to what the uh, Senators did to get Alex to bring it last summer, was trading draft picks 
to get them in last year's draft right before the draft. So I think the Blues could do something like that. I think options for a player like that would be a forward because the Blues are kind of locked in with their top eight forwards for sure right now. I think if you look at the list of forwards, I think you look at the the eight guys that are kind of locked in. It's Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, Braden Shin, Pavel Buchnevich, uh, Brandon Saad. That right there is five. Six is Kasperi Kaplan. Seven is Jacob Vrana. And then eight is probably Sammy Blay, right? So then you have Jake Neighbors as your ninth there. I think Torupchenko will be a factor. That's 10. Uh, and then you maybe see some training camp battles for 11. But I think by then it would be for 12 because I think they will bring in a top nine guy. Um, and I think if you look at the dynamic of players out there on the trade market and you look at kind of uh, – I usually reference Daily Faceoff's trade board with Frank Saravalli. I'll just pull that up now because I didn't have it because trade trade targets, I guess is what they're calling it. But uh, Saravalli has, has kept this board going for a while. Um, so it's an interesting part of this uh, because your options that make sense at forward for the Blues, number one on the trade board is Pierre-Luc Dubois. That doesn't make any sense to me because I think the Blues could really benefit from getting a winger if they're going to make a trade like this, because I think at center right now, you're pretty set with Robert Thomas, Braden Shin, and, um, well, maybe they're not set. I don't know. Robert Thomas, Braden Shin. So they could use a third-line center or a second-line center. That is, I, I mean, they did play Pavel Buchnevich at, at center last season. That could happen if they trade for a winger. Uh, Kevin Hayes is the third trade target. That doesn't make any sense to me. His contract is too much. Uh, Mark Shifley, fourth. Once again, I just don't see the, the in-division thing happening. Uh, fifth is Alex Dabrinkit. I've written an article about him. I think that could make sense. Uh, it certainly seems like the situation in Ottawa right now is Dabrinkit is either going to be traded or extended. So we'll see. I mean, they did trade the number seven overall pick plus a second and a third last season to get him. So we'll see. But that would be a good fit. Evgeny Kuznetsov, I think, would be an interesting fit. But I think the two more years at 7.8 mil is too much. Uh, but I think you could get him for a good price. But I don't see that happening. Uh, Connor Garland is another one. He's undersized. A lot of talent. Didn't have a great year last year, but he was in Vancouver. So a change of scenery could help him there. Three more years at 4.95 mil. That doesn't make too much sense to me. Uh, JT Miller, no, that's not happening. I'm just going over forwards on the trade uh, targets board. Ross Colton, I mean, hey, that'd be a nice fit if he's – looking to not get overpaid, which he probably is. Uh, Taylor Hall, doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt that happens. Uh, let's see. Who else is on here? Anthony Mantha. That would be funny, given the fact that the Blues did trade for, for Vrana, who was traded from Washington to Detroit for Mantha. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto is an interesting one. I think there's more production there than 10 goals in 58 games, and he's only got one more year at $3.1 million. Who knows? Uh, Blake Wheeler, no, that ain't happening. Um, Mikhail Granlund, nope, that's not happening. Kevin LeBanc, an interesting one there. Had, had a rough year in San Jose last year, but who didn't other than Eric Carlson? So one more year, 4.725, I doubt it. Uh, but if if there's a chance that you see William Nylander traded, I think the Blues could be interested in that. Uh, I wrote about Nylander as well. I think he'd be a nice fit but you'd have to extend them likely. So who knows what that number looks like. And we know Doug Armstrong's history with extensions has been uh, up and down for sure. 
really down on the defensive side and pretty good in the forward side. I feel like the Thomas and Cairo extensions will look fine, and I think the uh, the Buchnevich extension looks good. So, in terms of the draft, though, the Blues are going to have plenty of opportunity, ample opportunity, some would say, to find a guy that makes sense in the first round. Uh, so who knows? Uh, but let's get now to the the defense here, and I will say right now, referencing the daily faceoff, Frank Saravalli trade targets board. There's two interesting things, two interesting tidbits on this about the Blues defense and where they're at. Um, the first one is number 13 on the board is one St. Louis Blues defenseman being traded. Seems like a very likely scenario, and it's something that I wrote about. I think depending on the value, depending on what you get back, I think most of those guys on the back end with the contracts that you have to a Falk, to a Krug, to a Pareko, to a Letty, just get to a Scandella, just get rid of the guy. Any means possible is how I describe it. But I'm going to read the scoop here from Saravalli. He said this. He didn't. He didn't include Krug. Uh, so that's something to think about here. Okay, pick one, anyone. But GM Doug Armstrong is looking to create flexibility on his salary cap by moving one of his higher-priced defensemen. Interesting here. We know Tory Krug isn't going anywhere, but the rest are up for grabs. So Krug, probably completely untradeable, right? Probably completely untradeable. Uh, interest seemed to percolate on Pareko around the deadline, but he still has nearly $45 million remaining on his massive contract over the next seven seasons. That's a big commitment for a big man. Nice line there, sir, Valley. Falk and Letty have both seen declines in their games. That's an absolute understatement with Letty. He is terrible. Uh, the tough part for Armstrong is all top – All of this is his fault. This is a tough part that is Armstrong's fault. All of them have no trade clauses. So – if I had to rank likeliness of those four guys being traded, I think given what's being said in, in some circles, I would say Pareko is the most likely to be traded. I would say Scandella second. I would say Falk third, Letty fourth. Uh, I've heard the most about Pareko and Scandella, and I will say it's very interesting to me that any team is interested in trading for Colton Pareko, and I just have no idea what that package would look like because it's just such an insane contract. But there is the argument to make that he could really benefit from a change of scenery. And, like, he needs a Jay Bowmeister type to play alongside him, you know? He needs that. That is something that he needs. That's something that he's been most successful with. Even when Marco Scandella first got to St. Louis in 2020, before the pandemic shut everything down and just ruined a lot of what the Blues were doing on the back end. Even before then, Scandella and Pareko were pretty good together. And it's just been completely downhill since. Uh, but I think that's why the Blues could help themselves if they keep Pareko by bringing in a defenseman from free agency like a Ryan Graves, like like a, you know, there, there's a number of different players that could come from the back end that, um, that could be in the mixer, you know, they could be. Uh, but I, I do think the Blues will trade a defenseman, but it remains to be seen which one. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Hopefully it doesn't happen before I upload this because that would be stupid. I'm trying to get this done as quickly as possible so I don't outdate anything. Uh, okay, the next thing from the trade targets board in regards to the Blues is about the draft. Blues first-round picks, 25th and 29th overall. Let's read here from Frank Saravalli. We've reported on the availability of these picks as it will be shocking if Blues GM Doug Armstrong is walking to the podium all three times in the first round on June 28th in Nashville. The Blues are looking to move the picks they got for Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko in exchange 
for 25-year-old and younger players who can make an impact on their team with cost control. In terms of players in the trade target board that are 25-year-old and younger with cost control, I don't really think there is anybody, so I think it'd have to be an interesting name that you throw out there. I, I don't know who that would be, uh, but I I agree with a lot of the reporting, and it seems like it would be impossible, or not impossible, but shocking if the Blues made all three of those picks in the first round. So... It'll be interesting. I think from a free agency perspective, I think you got to look at both for a group and on the on the back end. Um, right now, I'm just going to write this down while I'm saying it. Um, so let's just think about what the Blues lineup could look like right now. Plus, we're going to dip a little bit into free agency. I've written about free agency a couple times. I wrote three free agent targets in an article, and I wrote a little bit about that in the defensive portion where if the blues trade two defensemen you're going to need to probably bring in a free agent but you also i mean callie rosen deserves a chance to play uh where you're going to see a little bit of bortuzzo i'm sure mixed in but the, the defense that performs the way that they have and coaching's a big part of this they got two assistant coaches to hire and i think it's going to happen within the next couple of weeks but you got to get a coach that can run the defense the defense in a way that works um because you're not working with a lot here in terms of recent success over the last couple of years. And I thought Mike Van Ryan was a fine coach. It just, it just didn't, it didn't work in to move on at some point. But um, so right now in the forward group, so like I said, you have probably 10 guys locked into a spot. Only eight of those 10 are probably within the top nine. Uh, so just for argument's sake, let's say your first line center is Robert Thomas. And I think I just hit the mic. I apologize. Your second line center, we're going to say, is Braden Shin. And you don't have a spot for a third line center right now, but your fourth line center is Nikita Alexandrov, who I think will get that spot when it's all said and done. Okay, so next to Thomas, just to start the year, I think you need to put Vrana on that left side with Thomas. I think you need to put Kapanen on the right side of Shin. I think you I think you put I think Vrana Thomas Buchnevich makes a lot of sense. But that means you put Cairo on the left side, which is a little uncomfortable. So I think you could switch Cairo and Kapanen and switch switch those two. I think Sammy Blay is is a lock for the top nine. He's absolutely earned it. We're gonna put him on the left side. And then on the right side of that, we're gonna put Brandon Saad, who it could be flipped as well. But either way, argument's sake, it's all it's all one and the same. So, Neighbors has got to be in the mix, too. So, we're going to put Neighbors in the fourth line left side, and we're going to put uh, – so, that's 11. Yeah, we're going to put uh, Torchenko down there. So, that's one spot open in this scenario. So, there's two different avenues for this scenario. You you go into free agency and get a center that can play middle six minutes, second or third line, or you trade for a winger that's young and can play top nine minutes in any in any form. So I think the prime options at center and free agency are obvious. I think it's Ryan O'Reilly returning, or I think it's JT Comfort from Colorado. Now, Comfort had a good regular season, faded after the deadline, not great in the postseason, but at a good number, could be a really, really good third-line center for this team, in my opinion. Uh, so you lock that in. Now you go to the back end. Sounds like Krug's going to be here. 
I think you have to have Perunovic in the mix too. I think he's earned it. So you have Perunovic running a power play unit and you have Krug running a power play unit. Now you're going to have to hide Perunovic a little bit at five on five, I think. Um, I do think Falk will be here too. So we're going to go Krug Falk for argument's sake. Now let's say that the Blues trade um, Colton Pareko. So you have Letty still here. I think that's going to happen. Um, we're going to say Rosen is playing the right side with uh, – so that leaves one spot, and you still have Bortuzzo, probably your seventh man, if Pareko is traded. So to fill that spot, it's going to have to be a trade or free agency. And in terms of free agency, I, I don't – I think a right-handed defenseman that makes sense at a number that could work for the Blues is tough to come by. I mean, do you – do you throw a little bit of money at Radko Gudis, who's a, f- a phenomenal player in the postseason, has been for Florida? Let's say that happens. So then you're looking at a defensive unit of – this is tough – of uh, Krug, Falk, Letty, Gudis, Prunovich, Rosen. Is that better than last season? I'm not so convinced. I think it's going to come down to coaching. Um. But that's the Blues have a lot of options. That's what makes this offseason so interesting is there's so many different avenues they could go. And remember, they do have about $7.5 million in cap space right now. So there is some cap space to work with. Of course, uh, you do need to give Torpchenko a little something. I expect that to be probably in the, what, like $1.5 million a year range, somewhere in, in that range. I think Logan Brown's probably out the door. I, I'd be surprised if something otherwise happened. Uh, but other than that, there is some cap space to work with, but I don't think the Blues should make any real long-term commitments for next season. I think that that's just not something that would work. So that's the interesting part about the Blues. Who knows what happens this offseason? I will say that uh, I'll continue to be writing stuff about the Blues. I'll be covering them a lot, especially during draft week for thehockeywriters.com. Uh, I have a NHL draft preview and a free agency preview coming with Matthew Zatora as my guest later on this month. We'll talk plenty about the Blues and around the league and all that stuff. So that's the Blues chapter. An interesting offseason ahead between them and the Suns. I'll be keeping my eyes peeled for all of that. Uh, but it's going to be very, very interesting to see what the Blues can do this summer. Stay tuned for Chapter 3 coming up next. Going to keep it short. There's going to be a lot of complaining. It's the St. Louis Cardinals. Chapter 3. The St. Louis Cardinals. In a weird place is my title for this one. And I, I don't want to do this part very long because I've, I've spoken a lot on Twitter about the team. I did a podcast about how bad they were like a month ago. They're not good. I don't really know what you want me to say. The weird place is that they're 27 and 39 as I record this. They're 3 and 7 in their last 10. They're 8 games out of the Central and they are 7 games out of the Wild Card. Pitching has been bad most of the time. Offense has been sputtering a lot. They're terrible with runners in scoring position. I don't know how the manager still has a job, especially given the fact that the Cardinals would love to scapegoat somebody, I'm sure, right now at this point. And uh, Oliver Marmol will be a good one because Mike Matheny did a lot more and got fired, which that was the right move at the time. Mike Schilt did a lot more and got fired. Very questionable move, in my opinion. Marmol did nothing with last season. They were good last season. That's fine. Didn't come close in the playoffs. Didn't even win a game. This season has been an outright disaster. I think most of the blame goes towards the Cardinal front office and ownership. Another offseason where they simply did not do enough. Who would have thought that a rotation that's 
old and inconsistent would be bad. Complete waste of money on Steven Matz. Another nostalgia situation with Wainwright. He just hasn't been the same. Michaelis has been pretty good recently, but got off to a terrible start. Same said for Flaherty. Montgomery got off to a really good start. He's been sputtering a bit as of late. The bullpen doesn't have the bullpen. The bullpen's not that bad. It could be better, certainly. Um, offensively, it's just not good enough. It's just not. Contreras has not been hitting for a while. Goldschmidt's been pretty good. Gorman's been great. Arenado started off slow, but he's been pretty good recently. It's just not a very well-built roster, and I don't really think there are many managers that could get a lot out of the current construction of the roster because of the inconsistency at every level and the and the pitching not being what it should be. Um, but the Cardinals simply just messed up. You know, they messed up. They they shouldn't have given, given Steven Matz that deal. They should have tried to get a little weird with it and sign like a Marcus Stroman, give him more money. I don't know, man. It's it's a tough spot. I'm glad they're letting Jordan Walker play. I still think he should be batting fifth or sixth rather than seventh or eighth. Their outfield logjam has kind of disappeared a little bit with the O'Neill injury, which I think O'Neill's traded soon enough, but I don't know what else to say. It's just not good. And the front office just is not very serious to me, you know? Like the front office is just not how do you how do you how do you look at that roster going into the season and not think there were still some flaws. Like everybody knew the pitching could be an issue. I didn't think it'd be as bad as it was early in the season, which it was really bad. It's become a little bit better because there's 162 games and that's just natural. But my God, the the front office just classic. Every offseason, it's one move and out. And a lot of those moves have been great. The Goldschmidt trade, the Arenado trade, both great moves. But you got to do a little bit more. You got to bolster the roster. You have the money. They 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 had cap flex not cap. They had payroll flexibility this season, and they gave way too much money to Adam Wainwright. The Contreras contract remains to be seen. The defense the defense has been up and down. I, I was speaking hockey there for a second with the word defense. Uh, the defense has been inconsistent, not great for Contreras, which is what you know you're going to get. But he's barely batting above 200 right now, which is a problem. He's got to be better offensively, and. They just simply, they didn't do enough. And it's just, that's the theme of this front office. It's every offseason. I think the ownership's a problem too. Like, at what point do you get real serious and try to compete with the best of the best in the NL? You're wasting Arenado. You're wasting Goldschmidt. You're on track. You're going to waste Gorman, I'm sure, for his entire career. It's just, oh, this way of running a baseball team is not working. It just isn't. This overly conservative approach, when you're in a baseball town, you're, if your team is good, you're going to get a lot of revenue from attendance and all kinds of other stuff. I don't know, man. After how much money they made last season during the Pujols-Molina thing, to come out this offseason and make one move and give 17 goddamn $17 million to a 49-year-old pitcher, it's just bad business. It just is. And this front office is a disgrace. This ownership is a disgrace. I think the manager's not a good – I think Oliver Marmol is not a good manager, but I also understand why he's not succeeding in this position. How do you how do you bring in Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and just do this amateur hour bullshit with your management? Schilt, 2019 NLCS. Really solid. 
2020. How was anybody going to be blamed for anything that happened that season? 2021, they were extremely close to beating the Dodgers in the wild card game. And then you fire him for, quote, philosophical differences. That just sounds like Moselak wants to continue to run this shit into the ground because that's all he's done. And pardon my French, but this guy is a joke. He's good at keeping the team consistently competitive until he's not. I don't know. It's just at what point do you change directions? And I don't have any hope that the DeWitts are smart enough or realize that they need to change directions. And I can't wait for Gersh to get scapegoated because he's going to get fired. And Marmol probably survives the regular season, but might get fired at the end of the season. It's just a complete utter disaster. It's been that way for a while. They had good success with Matheny for the first few years. They had a successful season in 2019, but guess what? This franchise has won one playoff series since 2015. One. So I'll leave you with that. I don't know what else to say. Quick chapter with the Cardinals. There's no hope. I'm sure I'll talk about them more towards the end of the season. This season's been a complete disgrace. And uh, that was the Cardinals chapter. We're on to chapter four. Chapter four will feature... The Green Bay Packers, probably another short one, but uh, stay tuned. Chapter 4, the Green Bay Packers, who are another team that's maybe in between things in the offseason, right? Uh, We're in the post-Aaron Rodgers era, and you'll hear a lot more about Aaron Rodgers and how I feel about everything that he did in Green Bay in his career. Um, So, I mean, that'll be happening in the future on this podcast. But anyway, little chapter about the Packers, the expectations moving forward, what they can do. Uh, but it's it's a roster reset. It's a, it's a youth movement. It's the Jordan Love era. I think there's a lot of hope on both sides of the ball that this team can surprise people. Um, the draft was good, I thought, on paper. You bring in Jaden Reed, a receiver from Michigan State, obviously bringing Lucas Van Ness in the first round. The edge rusher out of Iowa, he'll come in and play plenty to start. You get two tight ends, Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft. You don't draft any offensive linemen? Okay. I mean, why not? Try it out, see what happens. Um, You bring in some other drafted players in the back end. You get a new kicker in town. So it's going to be weird. No Rodgers, no Mason Crosby, no Randall Cobb back, which we've had a few years without him anyway before this. But uh, obviously it's hard not to just – look at the Jets and, and try to root for them a little bit just because, you know, I'm a Rodgers guy. I always have been a Rodgers guy. Really the only quarterback that I've known. So I'll be rooting for him. But anyway, in terms of the Packers, I think there's a number of things that could happen this season. I think there's a scenario where they surprise people and, you know, win 10 games and make the playoffs. I think there's a scenario where they're bad, where they win four games. But I think they're probably going to be somewhere in between. Seven or eight would be my guess. I think they'll benefit from the fact the NFC North doesn't really have a true favorite. I think you're going to need to see some improvement from the offensive line in front of Jordan Love this season. Uh, You bring back Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in the backfield. You have a top three receiver group of Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and Jaden Reed, which is two second-year guys, both of which showed flashes in the rookie season and a rookie. On top of Dontavion Wicks, another rookie, Grant Dubose, uh, another rookie, Samori Torre, a second-year guy. I think you just roll that group. I mean, I know there's a lot of people being like, oh, let's bring in a veteran receiver. But, like, they did that with Sammy Watkins last year, and it was useless. 
and why not just see what happens? You're, there's no Super Bowl expectation this season. There just isn't. Last season there was because Rodgers was still the quarterback. It's not the same way this year. So why not just roll with those top three and then the others in, in the mix and, and go with it, you know? Why not? I think there's an argument to just do that. And um, it'll be interesting. I think the, the Packers' defense is going to have to be a lot better this year. And it's going to match on paper what they need to be on the field, which they did not do last season. And I don't have a lot of hope with Joe Barry as the as the defensive coordinator still. But uh, this is the beginning of a new era, you know. We're going to find out what Jordan Love is. And I think with the growth that we've seen from Love from when he played in Kansas City in his one start where he got ambushed and blitzed every time, between that and what we saw a little bit in flashes against the Eagles last season, I think there's definite development. Just the way he throws, the way he looks out there, I just think that that's uh, that's something that that has occurred for for Love, and I hope that we see it even more this season as he gets more comfortable in the offense. And I think we're going to see, you know, Matt Lafleur's offense a little bit more. I think there's a lot of Rogers mixed stuff in the Lafleur offense last season and and in years past. But we're going to see more of what Lafleur really wants to do with Jordan Love back there, because this is his guy. So we're going to see. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I I don't have very high hopes for this team in terms of this season, but I like where the franchise is headed. You reset the roster. You still have core leadership and play, veteran players in there that can help. Those guys being, you know, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, David Bakhtiari, uh, you know, Jair Alexander, plenty of veterans. And, uh, It'll be interesting to see how the secondary performs. Hopefully keep Jair Alexander healthy. Rasul Douglas back in the mix. We'll see when Eric Stokes returns from his injury that he suffered last season, but he's got to be better than he looked last year. Uh, no Adrian Amos anymore. That'll be interesting to see how the safeties perform. We need a lot better version of Darnell Savage out there. No doubt about it. I think the front should be formidable. I think year two of Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker will be fun to watch. Um... Kenny Clark, TJ Slayton, Devontae Wyatt, Preston Smith when Rashawn Gary's back, Lucas Vaness, Carl Brooks, who is a terrific player at Bowling Green, who was one of my favorite picks that they made. That was a sixth-round pick. I think he could be terrific. Uh, but it's going to be different. It's going to be weird. I wrote about their schedule on the Substack. I think their schedule is interesting. A lot of interesting stuff in there. I think I had them going 8-9, and nine, which I think is a very realistic way to view it. Uh, I don't see them being that much better than that I'd be surprised I'd also be surprised they were really a lot worse but who knows it'll be an interesting part of the season and uh or an interesting season overall I should say and yeah it's another short chapter I feel like some of these chapters are getting real short but uh the final chapter is coming up next is chapter five it's going to be a little bit of an in-depth 30,000 foot view of everything with each team so stay tuned for chapter five Chapter five, chapter five, uh, an interesting thing about each of the four teams discussed in this podcast today is that I don't really think any of them other than maybe one is even close to winning a championship. Um, and that's the first part of this chapter is I'm going to rank each four of the teams in terms of how close I believe they are to winning a championship. Plus the last time they won a championship will be included in this as well. So let's start from the bottom. Um, so in my life, I've seen four championships between these teams. 
one of which was very early. You know, it's been a while, but not too long, I guess. Uh, so last, the, the team furthest away from winning a championship to me right now is the Packers, just because I don't know what Jordan Love is. And if Jordan Love turns out to be a star, I think they'll ramp up this list to number two probably, because two and three are not really that close either. Uh, number three, I'm actually going to say is the Cardinals. I just don't see it with the with the teams in the NL, like the Dodgers and Braves, and eventually I think the Padres and Mets will come around in the coming years with how much money they spend and be good. And then on the other side in the AL with the Astros and you know what they've been and consistency in the Yankees and how much money they spend, the Rays and their consistency. So I just think the Cardinals aren't close because they don't have the pitching to win in the postseason. They don't have the offensive consistency to win in the postseason they don't have the manager to win in the postseason so i the cardinals last championship was 2011 by the way the packers was 2010 uh so i don't think they're close two is the blues i don't really think they're that close either but i think they're closer than the cardinals just because you can turn things around pretty quickly in the nhl you can do that pretty quickly with a couple good drafts a couple of elite trades good coaching i think the blues have some of those things the, the defense is a problem, I know, but I think the Blues are the second closest, and I think by far the closest. The Blues won in 2019, by the way. The the easiest pick is the closest, and that's the Suns. They're just closer. They have two superstars. They got to the finals in 2021. A couple of disappointing second-round exits, I know, but I think the Suns are easily the closest to winning a championship. And coincidentally enough, they're the – team that fired their head coach this offseason. But anyway, that's just the NBA these days, right? It is what it is. Uh, So I think it's Suns closest, Blues second, Cardinals third, Packers fourth. Uh, Now I'm going to rank the coaches. Let's rank the coaches of the four franchises. This is where things get a little weird, but uh, I think the worst coach of the four franchises, and I hope Coys is out there listening, who's the only other person that I know that roots for all four of these teams at the same time. I hope he agrees with this, but I think Oliver Marmol is by far the worst manager slash coach of my four teams. He's done nothing. Is what it is. He's been terrible this year, so I'm out on him. I think Matt LaFleur is third. I think show me a little bit more. Not great in the postseason. Should have gotten to a Super Bowl a couple years ago with Rodgers there. He's had a lot of success. He's got a very good record, but I need to see a little bit more from LaFleur before I go ranking him higher. Second, I'm going to say, is a guy who's never coached for the team, the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns, I should say. Frank Vogel, proven track record. I think a great fit for the Suns. I think that's enough for me to put him second. Now, there's an easy argument to make that LaFleur is second and Vogel is third just because we haven't seen Vogel. But why not? I don't know. Why not? I have a lot of high hopes for what Vogel can do in Phoenix. And I think the best is Barubi, just because Craig Barubi's had a lot of success for the Blues. Uh, got to the second round. Uh, this past season, won the Cup in 19, really turned this thing around from a franchise that just couldn't get over the hump to getting over the hump and being successful. They had a really good regular season before COVID shut everything down in 2020. And then 2021, they were pretty good. 2022, they were very good. This season was bad, but I think this year is going to be a bit of a turnaround for Bruby. I think they'll be a sneaky close to the playoffs team. And I think Bruby's a guy that I still have a lot of trust in. He's pushed a lot of the right buttons in his time with the Blues, so I think he's deserving of being the best coach. And the next one I did was uh, ranking the top star duo for each team, each of the four. Um, 
I put the Packers duo fourth because I really don't know where to go here. I think you could easily just say Jair Alexander and Rashawn Gary, but I'm going to say one on each side of the ball. I'm going to say Aaron Jones. I think he's one of the best running backs, dual threat running back, just does a lot of different things. I think he's one of the best in the league at that. So I'm going to say Aaron Jones on the offensive side, and then Jair Alexander I believe is a top three corner in football. I think Jair and Aaron Jones is a great duo, but I think that they're distant fourth. Third for the Blues, I don't think either of these two are necessarily the best player on the team, but they're viewed as as the star duo. So I think, you know what, I'm going to change that. Screw it. I'm going to change that. We're going to go Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich. Now, you could say Thomas and Kairou. They're the young duo. They signed matching extensions. But I think Pavel Buchnevich is the best player on the Blues. So I'm going to say Buchnevich and Thomas are the third-ranked duo. I'm going to say second is uh, Nolan Arnauto and Paul Goldschmidt. And then um, I'm going to say first by far, I think, is Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, who are two of the eight or nine best players in the NBA. So that was pretty easy. So the Suns, a lot of representation on these three lists in terms of the top. I have hope, I guess I should say, by the Suns. But I'm going to use a, a phrase or two with each team to think about what's next for them. What's next for the Phoenix Suns is this. Find a way to trade DeAndre Aiden. Get through free agency. See if Chris Paul is coming back or not. Find shooters and defense three and D's for Booker and Durant. Okay? Do that. For the Blues, lay that a lot. It's the draft. It's free agency. It's retooling, reshaping this roster. Get it done. You got to trust Doug Armstrong. By the way, I should rank the executives too while we're at it. We'll do this part live. Uh, ranking the executives. Okay. A guy who's had a lot of success but is past his prime, John Mozeliak of the St. Louis Cardinals is fourth. Third is going to be uh, – third is going to be uh, – I like this guy, but Brian Gutekunst hasn't done enough for me yet, but overall has done a pretty good job. He'll be third of the Packers. Second, I'm going to go James Jones. Done a great job with the Suns. Got the Chris Paul trade done. He's a terrible drafter, but we already knew that. Got the Kevin Durant trade done. But I think Doug Armstrong – Given the model of consistency that the Blues have been since 2010 and the fact that he built the Stanley Cup winner, I know he's made a lot of mistakes over the past few years, but I think Doug Armstrong is the best executive that we have to offer. Um, so, by the way, that the coaches and GMs line up the exact same team. Blues 1, Suns 2, Packers 3, Cardinals 4. That's where I'm at in my feelings about these franchises right now, too, in terms of hope. But what's next for the, for the Cardinals? I have no clue. Absolutely no clue. There you go. Uh, what's next for the Packers? <clears throat> let the kids play. Reset the roster. Let the kids play. See what happens. Leave it all out in the field. That's what's next. I'm moving my mic. I'm sorry. Uh, but that'll do it for the State of My Sports Team series. A fun little series in the summer to talk about some things. This didn't really go as long as I thought it would, but I don't know. I was just trying to get a get a gauge, get a pulse on how I feel about each of these four teams, maybe learning a little bit about myself where I feel about these, these teams right now. So I hope you enjoyed Uh, coming up next in the sub stack. You're going to see some U S open stuff for LACC this week. Uh, An article podcast after the tournament, probably an article before the tournament. Uh, You're going to see an Aaron Rodgers podcast coming out soon. I keep teasing that. I've been working on some of the the stuff I want to talk about for that. That'll be sometime in the summer uh, and plenty of more stuff coming. So hope you enjoyed this and I will uh, see you next time.